that we can do this. Uh, if we have like downpour sort of rain, we won't be here. We'll have to be inside. So we'll try to let you know that ahead of time. But so good to be together and welcome to everybody. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Um, and on most Sundays, I get to bring God's word. Uh, so we're going to be uh, in Psalm 109. And uh, if you're wondering what I'm doing, I'm trying to set a clock because there's no clock in front of me. And uh, though I, I do relatively well, if you're a guest, you may be very worried with a statement like that. Um, but it, it helps to have a clock. So uh, we are going through the Psalms over the summer. We are going through eight different types of Psalms. You could categorize the Psalms into eight different types. Uh, and so we've hit on two already, um, two of the types of Psalms. And this week we are going to hit on the type called imprecatory psalms. Um, that's just a fancy word that means curses. Uh, so uh, it'll be an interesting time. I think it'll be edifying time because it is God's word. Um, and so as you turn to Psalm 109, I think you have it in the handout as well. Let me tell you an introductory story. Uh, and I adapt this from Ellen Castillo. And, in 1707, a fleet commanded by British Admiral Cloudsley Shovel, what a fantastically British name, ran into a severe storm just off the Scilly Isles, 25 miles off the coast of Cornwall, um, Britain. Legend has it that one of his sailors on board the flagship was from that area, knew the waters, and he rushed to warn Sir Cloudsley that the ships were headed for the dreaded Guilestone Reef. The admiral uh, did not take kindly to his persistent advice, and he ordered the sailor to be hanged for his impertinence as a sign that he, Sir Cloudsley, would not be told how to sail his ship. As the rope was placed around the sailor's neck, he recited Psalm 109 and laid a terrible curse, supposedly, on Sir Cloudsley. The sailor was right that the flagship HMS Association and four other ships foundered on the rocks in the raging sea, 2,000 men lost their lives that day, including the commander, Sir Cloudsley, his body washing ashore onto the Scilly Isles. Or so the legend says. Today we'll be reading this very same famous psalm. And as we look at this category of psalms, called imprecatory psalms or cursing psalms, we'll need to wrestle with how to understand and apply them. Should we use them like the sailor in the legend? Is that what God has in mind in this psalm? Or does God think differently about this psalm and other psalms of its type? How should we understand them? Imagine many of you have, uh, if you've read some of the psalms, have wrestled with these very questions with what we call the imprecatory psalms. I trust God to give us insight, to help us to understand, and not only that, actually to apply these psalms to our own lives. So let's ask Him for His help because we desperately need it. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Every word in Scripture uh, is given by you. They are your very words. And so, Lord, they are meant to produce fruit in our lives. They are meant to act authoritatively over our lives uh, within the realm to which they speak. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your living word. And I pray, Lord, help me to, to rightly teach and proclaim your word and help us to hear and understand. And, Lord, would you, would you affect our lives through your word today? Um, we know that this is your heart. And so we can pray in confidence, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read uh, Psalm 109. I'll read. You can follow along. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God of my praise. 
For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. But I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May, may another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loves to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessings. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, Deal on my behalf for your namesake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They rise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng. For He stands at the right hand of the needy one to save Him from those who condemn his soul to death. God's word from Psalm 109. I believe that this psalm and, and really everything in Scripture that relates to us uh, teaches us that we are to cry out to, to God for justice. We are to cry out to the God of justice for justice and He will act. God will act through His chosen King he will bring about His justice to those who cry to Him for justice. Jesus is that chosen King, and so ultimately we can understand this psalm to say to us that we are to cry out to King Jesus for justice. Let's take time to walk through the psalm and, and learn that. And There are three headings uh, that we can divide up the psalm by. One, uh, we're going to look at the case. Then secondly, the curse. And then thirdly, our confidence. The case, the curse, and our confidence. So first, the case, verses 1 through 5. David starts out by making his case before God. He begins the psalm. Actually, the first words of the psalm are, O God of my praise, be not silent. 
His confidence is in God from beginning and throughout and to the end, though he is going through terrible, terrible things. And he lays his case before God right off the bat. He looks to God to not be silent, but to respond, and he, he lays out what's going on in his life. There are, are, are things going on. There is a conspiracy. There is a, a group of people who are slandering him, and not, they're not just slandering him in this slander. They're actually seeking his death. They're seeking to undermine him. They're seeking to depose him as king. They're seeking his death. Um, and, it, and it's a conspiracy. It's happening to him. Now, we don't know the specifics, actually, of this particular psalm. Uh, there are some psalms we do. Uh, many of them we don't. And, and as I said, I think it was last week, uh, I think that's by God's design. Because he wants us to be, be able to relate and apply it to our lives and, and not say, well, that was David's special circumstance. We don't have those. He, he wants us to see and to apply this to our own lives. And so we could guess David had a lot of enemies throughout his life. If you read about the reign of King David, it, it was a wonderful reign actually. The, king pro, the kingdom prospered under David. It grew and, and there was truth and peace and worship and wonderful changes, wonderful improvements were made. It was really transformed. It, it was just about the high point of the Old Testament kingdom of God. So it was wonderful in many ways, and yet, if you read the story, he had many enemies, starting early on, King Saul himself. Uh, Daog, Abner, Shimei, Absalom, uh, Adonijah, Joab, Abiathar. Uh, not to mention the foreign enemies that he faced as well. He had a lot of enemies. And the enemy in this psalm is, is probably not any of those named, but someone else that we don't know about. And it was a friend and a close companion. So it wasn't just somebody he kind of knew. It was someone who had been close to him. It was a close friend. And this close friend had turned on David. And he was slandering him. And he was working with the group. Intending to hurt him. To use lies to bring him down. And, and David was caught up in this whirlwind of hate and accusation. He talks about that he had loved these people and he prayed for them. So he, he uh, says, in return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. These are people that he loved. These are people that he prayed for and was praying for. And in light of his love and kindness and prayer for them, they were turning on him and, and slandering him and seeking to bring him down. I don't know if you've ever had a, a situation in your own life like this. I don't know if you've ever been the subject of slander or a campaign to make you look bad. Um, I imagine we've all gone through something like this at some point in time. We've probably been slandered. We've probably been gossiped about. We've probably had people stab us in the back at some point. To, to be human is to face these sorts of things. Um, I remember a season in my life where um, as, a, as a research engineer, my competence was being questioned behind my back. And people were spreading rumors about me. And it was really hard. It was really hard to go to work each day and to know that that was going on. And, and, and there were different levels of it. Some was just people wondering. Others perhaps had more evil motives. I don't know. But it was very, very difficult for me at that time. And, and, uh, and that's what's going on in David's life here in a, in a totally nut, higher level than anything I ever experienced. I, I think about uh, when I was a kid in high school. Seeing that uh, high school was a continual competition of talking behind each other's backs. Uh, I don't know what your experience was like. 
there was a lot of good stuff, but a lot of that went on. And I just remember how awful it was, what it felt like. I, I share those stories so that you would identify with David, and, and certainly David's unique. David's different as king and what they, what they were going uh, what they were doing, trying to bring David down as king. But I think we've all faced situations where, where, where someone we trusted and loved betrays us. And whatever level it might be, it might be a, just a slight betrayal. They're not there for us. They throw us under the bus, so to speak, or a, a more significant betrayal. That's what's going on for David. And, and, and David is experiencing this. It's really undoing him, and we'll get into that as we go. Uh, but there's something slightly different for David, too, that we have to understand, that David actually is the king. He's the king of Israel. And so this, this psalm is not just about David's personal struggle and personal insult. This isn't just like, I'm feeling bad because people don't like me sort of thing. These guys are traitors and treasonous. They are seeking to undermine the king. And really the kingdom. And behind that, because David is God's chosen king, and this is God's chosen kingdom, they're actually opposing God and what they're doing. And so David's response has that in mind as well. And that's important to understand. He is speaking authoritatively as the king. It would be wrong for David to simply absorb this. He must address it as king. Ultimately, only a king, only one in authority, has the right to pronounce such things as David does here. You and I cannot pronounce some sort of curse on somebody authoritatively in the way that David could as king. And this is one of the important things to understand in, a pre in precatory psalms. They are spoken authoritatively, whether through the king or a prophet of God. The king of God or the prophet of God. We don't have the authority in and of ourselves to do such things. So we don't pick up Psalm 109 and do what the sailor did in the story. By the way, I think that was complete legend. Um, we don't do that. We don't have authority. It's the king that gets to do this. And otherwise, if we use God's word in that way, we really are violating scripture. And worse than that, we're practicing witchcraft. Um, we're using something to manipulate circumstances and manipulate things in an authority that we don't have and in a right that we don't have. We're exercising power outside of God's ordained realm. That's the heart of witchcraft. Only the king has this authority. Only the king can pronounce judgment. And of course, the, pred the uh, successor to David is the ultimate king, King Jesus. And so, if we're going to understand the imprecatory psalms, we need to understand that, there, that the authority resides in the king, it's in God ultimately, but in his chosen king. And so, we have to interpret the imprecatory psalms through Jesus. And so, it would be helpful to hear what King Jesus says about situations like David's and what we're supposed to do and to understand and dig into this a little bit. And he has lots of things he says, but, but Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, he says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's interesting to note, when Jesus started his ministry, he read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. Let me read you those verses. 
It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Those are the two verses from Isaiah 61 that Jesus was looking at on that day in the synagogue in Nazareth. If you know the story though, you know that he didn't read the whole thing, did he? He got to the middle of verse 2, finished with to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and left out and the day of vengeance of our God. That's noteworthy. Jesus didn't do that because he had some sort of loose understanding of the authority of God's word that he could like kind of pick and choose and like God didn't really mean this, you know, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna interpret God's word for you in a better way than God himself would. That's not what's going on. He purposely, knowingly left that out. Because he was defining his ministry, he was defining why he came and what he was doing in this time period. And it says elsewhere as well that he didn't come to judge the world, he came to save it. He came to rescue. He came to come and rescue people from their own evil that they do, their own injustice that they perpetrate, as well as injustice and evil done against them. He came to rescue us to bring salvation and rescue from evil, not vengeance. And so we have to understand that as we look at Psalm 109. We have to understand that we live under King Jesus, and this is what Jesus is doing. Now we're going to get there, so hang on, because you're probably wondering, what about, what about the vengeance part? We'll get there. But we live now in a time where it's the day of salvation, where God's desire is that none would perish, that all would repent and run to Jesus and find in Him forgiveness for their sins, for their evil, would find change in their lives. And so when we see evil and we see injustice, we're not pronouncing the curses of Psalm 109. We're praying, God, would you come and rescue and change this situation? Would you bring down this evil system? Would you change the hearts of the leaders that would perpetrate and support this? The people that would follow it? Would you bring your kingdom? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Is a prayer against injustice and evil. But His kingdom comes through salvation. His kingdom comes through transformed lives. His kingdom comes through transformed families. And, and as, when God wills it, we can't control this, through even transformed cultures. And I spent time last week talking about how our cultures have been already transformed in many ways. There's still more work to be done. So this is the day of salvation. We need to understand that. And this is how Jesus, King Jesus wants us to think about it. Now that's not to deny the evil that's out there. There's lots of evil still out there, guys. There's injustice on a personal level like I talked about. Place, workplaces, among friends, even family members. There's great injustice and evil uh, at government levels. If you're a Christian who lives in North Korea right now, your government wants to kill you. If they find out that you're a believer, you'll be sent to a labor camp. You'll slave away working there. You'll probably be tortured and you probably will be killed. That's what happens in North Korea right now. That's a great evil. And Psalm 109 should inform us and should inform those believers in North Korea and how they pray and how they think about that. There should be that same level of angst that David has, that, that heart cry, Oh God, take note of this evil. So there should be no lack of passion 
and angst over such evil. We just direct it in a different place. We ask for redemption and rescue. Right now, guys, five to 10,000 young girls are sent from Nepal to India every year as sex slaves. Five to 10,000 every year into India as sex slaves. That's evil. And that should cause us to pray Psalm 109 against such systems and behavior. There are hundreds of thousands of those caught in sex trafficking in our country. Just recently, there was a bust in Salem, New Hampshire. I don't know if you remember that. It goes on around us. This is an evil thing. Racism continues. Injustice happens. It happens to those of color. They can tell you what it's like to have lived under a system that doesn't treat them as, as justly as they ought to be treated, as, as others are treated. To live having to guard your words and behavior so as to not upset the majority culture. It's still there, guys. It's evil. And we should hate it. There's also evil in these violent protests and the forces that are trying to promote anarchy. Trying to bring down the order of our government and the good blessings that have come through it. That's evil as well. By the way, guys, be really careful here. Don't choose one side without choosing the other. And don't pretend to choose one side while you don't really care about that side. We as Christians are called to navigate through this season in a wise and just way, hating evil on left and right. Being wise. Don't get pulled in. There are political forces that want to pull you and polarize you. Let the Word of God direct us into how we live. And, and I believe that, that we are in a new season as believers in this world that we are going to have to navigate a narrow way politically with wisdom. We may still vote differently, but let us be careful in how we think. And let us pray Psalm 109 against all evils. Let us have that same zeal that David has, that same angst, that same desire. Oh God, this should not be. This is wrong. Come and act. So let me ask you, are you doing that? Are you making your case before the Lord? Are you aware of these things, whether they're personal or bigger level, political and so forth, before the Lord and asking Him to bring justice? Are you crying out to Him? Are you pouring your energy into that more than getting outraged? More than anything else, are you pouring your energy into crying out day and night for the King's justice to be done? David makes his case before the God of justice. Second, we see the curse. Having made his case, David continues calling down curses on his enemy. It, it looks from what we can tell that he's singling out a ringleader of this evil conspiracy and he calls down pretty heavy curses on the guy. It's extensive. It's raw. It's emotional. I think we need to understand a, a few things here. Uh, not everything David is saying is necessarily representing what God thinks about this guy. This is David, uh, like elsewhere in the psalm, being raw and honest with emotion. Now there's truth here as well. We'll get into that. But, but we need to understand that, that that's part of what's going on. The, the psalms are actually very healthy emotionally. And they can help us at times to express what's going on. Our, our, our struggle, our brokenness, our angst. But that doesn't mean that that angst is, is, the, is the full revelation of what God wants to do. So there's that element here. But also there's the reality that, that, that this guy has done great evil towards David. And the, the things that David is calling to happen to him are actually the things that he's intending to happen to David. David is saying basically, let this guy taste his own medicine. He wants these things to happen to me. He wants me to, 
to be accused. Matter of fact, I am being accused. He wants to prosecute me somehow. He wants to remove me from my office. He wants to see me dead. He wants to see my children fathers. He wants to see my wife a widow. He wants to see my name wiped out. He wants my posterity cut off. Those are the things that this guy wants for David. So David is saying he would not be kind. He would not care for the poor and needy and the brokenhearted. He was pursuing them to death. That's probably meaning David himself, but others as well. Maybe David learned something about the man's life. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. David's asking for justice to be this guy tasting his own medicine. That's what's going on. Now this psalm, by the way, is used in the New Testament. It's applied to someone in the New Testament. His name was Judas. Acts chapter 1, verse 20. They use Psalm 109 to understand that Judas has lost his office as an apostle and they must replace him with Matthias. Judas is a terribly sad fulfillment of Psalm 109. Jesus is like King David in Psalm 109. Jesus has loved Judas. He's prayed for him and with him. He's poured out his life into Judas. He washed Judas' feet that evening. The same evening that Judas went and betrayed Jesus to death. That same evening that Judas came and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. It was meant to be a kiss of death. He had been a close friend with Jesus, but this just wasn't any friend. This is Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God in the flesh, Savior and Lord of all. And Judas gets his own medicine in the story. He is the one who ends up condemned. And so, I think we see and need to understand that curses do have a role in God's plan. Curses have a role in God's plan. Psalm 109 is not just David venting. There, there is the reality of curses in God's plan. And, and so let me talk about that briefly. Just some ways to understand this. First, um, God's preference in all this is that instead of us receiving curses, we have rescue from curses. He's a God of compassion and mercy. Now is the day of salvation. He wants rescue. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want people to have to face the curses they deserve. That's really important. Covered it already. Important to understand. It's important to understand that it's already happened for you and for me. If you are a believer in Jesus, you belong to Him. And the reality is that Jesus observed, absorbed the curse you and I deserve to pay. The wages of sin is death. The curse, the right, right response of God for those that have rejected His love and mercy and kindness and faithfulness and goodness that's all around us is to be cursed and sent away. To dwell forever cut off from the presence of God in spiritual death. The, the curse of spiritual death comes to those who ultimately choose to turn from God and to turn to spiritual death. We are guilty. We have betrayed Him. We, we have done things like this betrayer in Psalm 109. He has been kind to us. We turn and do evil towards Him and those made in His image. He's cared for us. He's loved us. He's created us. And yet we betray Him. And yet, 
amazingly, because he's rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. Christ came and went to the cross, lived the righteous life uh, that deserved all blessing, offered that life in our place on the cross, then took your curse on himself, perished on that cross for you to absorb the curse you deserve to absorb. He died on that cross. He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. And through simple faith in Him, it's amazing. Simple faith. All we need to do is turn away from sin and self and run to Jesus in simple faith. Just say, I believe and I receive. That, that's the sort of faith. It's a trust. Amazing. Through simple faith, through simple trust, the curse is removed. We are forgiven and, and we are now blessed. Actually, now in Jesus, we receive all the blessings He earns. It's an amazing truth. That's why it's called the good news. It's not a gooder news. Forgiveness and blessing, curse removed. Now is the day of salvation. That's, that's the point here. But we have to also understand a second thing in relationship to cur cur uh, cursing. That's the first most important thing. Secondly though, sooner or later it will be a day of vengeance. Sooner or later, it will be a day of vengeance. God will not endure unrepentant evil forever. There will be a day when vengeance is exacted. That's why the believer is called to not take vengeance, but to leave room for God's wrath. Let the Lord take care of it. He will take care of it as the authority, not us, in His day. And in the meantime, we, we bless those who persecute us. We love them. We seek and pray for redemption in their lives. We forgive them. But there will be a day of vengeance. There will be a great white throne set up. Everyone will be judged according to what they have done. Every human. Every angel. According to what they have done. And then those whose names are not written in the book of life. Those in the book of life are just a record of those who have run to Jesus. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. There will be everlasting destruction. It'll be just. We will actually sing of His justice in heaven. Because what He does will be perfectly just. This is not Dante's Inferno, God getting His jollies, dipping people in molten tar or something. It's perfectly just retribution for people's choices and actions. In Revelation 15 as they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. We will actually sing of His just retribution. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. He's not a pushover. He's holy. He's amazingly compassionate and merciful. He'll wait a whole lifetime for you to turn and to run to His mercy and grace. But should you not, you will have to bear your own choices. And I can't imagine why you would not run to Him. There will be a day of vengeance from God. It'll come on that judgment day. He will settle all injustices finally there. 
we also live in a time now where there's injustice and evil. The day of vengeance will be how he settles it. But as I said earlier, part of it now, he settles it by rescuing, by changing lives. And so we pray for justice to be done. We pray for injustice to be addressed. Luke 18, Jesus says, and as he's teaching on prayer, he asks us to pray. He says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So we are to pray. It says God will give them answers. How? Speedily. We talked last week about the already and the not yet. It's so important to understand this. It can't be all about not yet, saying, no, he'll only answer this at the end. No, we ask for it now, and he answers speedily now. He brings changes now. He's zealous for justice. He's a good father. He's a good father who is, who's zealous for justice. I um, was thinking about this and thinking about good fathers and I remembered my dad. Um, I remember my dad on uh, the first senior prom in my family. My sister went there and I remember um, her being at our house with her date. I don't remember all the details but probably part of it is just Remembering from the stories later, but my dad, uh, my dad was an intimidating man. He was about 6'3", former all-scholastic athlete, senior executive at Raytheon, all this. Um, he could be very intimidating, and her, her date was there with her. And he went up to him and said, what do you intend to do with my daughter this evening? <laughs> In his very intim intimidating Boston flat accent. I can hear him now. Um, it had its effect. The young man got the message. My dad loved my sister. And our Heavenly Father is a good father who cares about us and what we're in. He cares about what's going on. He wants us to know that's his heart and we're to look to him. He's the perfect Heavenly Father. By the way, he's the perfect Heavenly Father-in-law too, men who are married. Remember who your Heavenly Father-in-law is. Um, it's a sobering truth. But that's who He is. And He wants us to cry to Him for justice and, and to cry out day and night for justice and evil to be addressed. He wants us to ask. So, the day of vengeance will come. We live out crying and trusting for that, but crying for justice now. Thirdly, we need to understand as we look at the imprecatory Psalms that our ultimate enemies are not human beings. There's a bigger revelation in the New Testament, Ephesians 6 teaches us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our ultimate enemies are Satan and his minions. They are the ones behind this evil and injustice. He's involved in a lot of things. It's important for us to understand that. It's also important for, for us not to overstate that. Sometimes we think it's Satan and it's just us or whatever, but, but he also is very active. It's important to understand that. That this enemy perpetrating evil is the, the devil and his minions. Does that mean that we use Psalm 109 and curse Satan? That we start saying, may these things happen to you, Satan? Actually, no. Jude teaches us not to pronounce blasphemous judgment. It says that when the angel... Archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. He didn't curse Satan. 
in that way. But said the Lord rebuke you. See, our authority is not in ourselves. It's in Jesus. And when we exercise spiritual authority, we exercise it on behalf of Jesus. If you ever encounter demons in deliverance ministry, that's how you better act. It's Jesus who has the authority. You pronounce things in His name. You pray in His name. So we look to Him. And we take up the means of grace He's given us to do battle. And that is first prayer. Prayer is so powerful. That's one thing I think we'll learn going through the Psalms. Just how important prayer is. How we can exercise authority over demons through prayer. We ask the Lord, Lord, take note what's going on here. Look at this situation. Look at this evil. Consider what the enemy wants to do. How he's opposing your name and your people. We ask you to come in power. Come and arrest his, his work. Come and exalt your name. Bring your kingdom. Deliver us from the evil one. That's how we end the Lord's Prayer. We put on the armor of God as well. These, these blessings that we have in Jesus that we wear. The armor of God. So, I, help, I hope that helps you understand how the cursing part of Psalm 109 gets played out. Day of salvation, day of vengeance, being diligent and praying for God to deal with evil now, understanding our enemy, ultimate enemy is Satan and his minions. Finally, our confidence. David finishes the psalm with his confidence in the Lord. It's not in his own strength. It's not in his own sense of, of betrayal and need for justice. His confidence in this psalm is in, is in the Lord. It's not, you know, politics or the media. He's putting his confidence in God in all this. He's crying out and expecting that God will work. He, he says a couple time in, times in the end, um, he talks of steadfast love. His confidence is in the steadfast love of the Lord. That, that word is the uh, chesed. It's a Hebrew word. Uh, that means covenantal love. It's, it's God's special love. It's God's um, promised love. And so when, it's, when it says that, steadfast love, it's steadfast in a number of ways. First off, we learn that God has loved us from before time. If you are a believer, you are ultimately a believer because He has loved you from before time and chosen you to be rescued. He's loved you with the same love that He has for God the Son. It's amazing. The inter-Trinitarian love is the same love He has for you before time began. That's steadfast love because it started before time began. It came and it was applied in the time of Jesus. It was brought to you in, the, in your own lifetime by the power of the Holy Spirit. It will endure forever. It will keep you throughout your life as a believer. It will bring you home and it will fill you with, with, with joy and worship forever in His presence. It's a steadfast love. And so David's confidence in, in answering this prayer is in God's steadfast love. He's aware of his own weakness. He, he is actually spent here. He's falling apart. He's weak. He's been fasting. He might have a sickness. It might just be the, the effect on his soul. Our souls and bodies are connected, right? So when something affects our soul, it manifests in our bodies. When things affect our bodies, it can manifest in our soul. And so David is probably just sick with anxiety about this whole thing. He's, he's gaunt. He's pale. He's deathly. And they're saying, oh, I think we're going to get what we want. He's going to die. And he proclaims his weakness and crying out to God in, in a reminder that he desperately needs God. But he also reminds himself his confidence is in God, the God of love, steadfast love. Brothers and sisters, our confidence must ultimately be in God's steadfast love. 
So as we deal with these realities, as we struggle, as we face evil, as we go through life and the ups and downs, as we see the challenges around us, let, let us put our confidence in His steadfast love. He has loved His people. He's rescuing His people. He's going to finish His work. He's going to bring us home. So as we cry out, we look to His steadfast love. Now, there's lots of things I'm not going to say related to this. Of course, God uses us in addressing evil. We have a part to play. He's given us gifts to whom much is given, much is expected. He calls us to serve Him in this. So He may use you to answer your own prayers. He may use you to answer the prayers of others. But this psalm is highlighting our confidence in the Lord and the importance of prayer. And David says something here. He says he knows that God stands at the right hand of the needy one. Verse 31, do you see it there? For he stands at the right hand of the needy one. He's speaking of God. Think of the imagery there. This is God himself standing. And it reminds me actually of Stephen on the day of his martyrdom. As he was being stoned to death. application of Psalm 109. He blessed and didn't curse. He said, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And then he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I believe, and along with most commentators, that that is because Jesus was standing there, watching what was going on with Stephen, communicating to Stephen, Stephen, I'm with you. Hang in there. I love you. I'm going to work this out. I'm standing at the right hand of God, the mighty one who rules the universe, standing for Stephen in his struggles. That's what David's saying here. God stands with us. And you know what? God did bring about justice to Stephen. And it came through redemption. Because who was the man who had been leading the death of Stephen? The martyrdom of Stephen was led by Saul of Tarsus. And how did God answer Stephen's prayer? How did God respond? How did the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God respond to it? By changing the life and heart and mission of the ringleader. So let me encourage you to cry out. Let me encourage you to ask God for justice to be done. Let me encourage you to address honestly the evils around your life, maybe perpetrated against you. And let's take a minute right now just where you are, to cry out. Just pray silently. Ask the Lord to answer, to work, to bring justice, to glorify His name.